You're listening to The Jack Skilly Show, brought to you by Hammer Media. Professional hockey player Jack Skilly chooses a different topic each season to explore hockey, sport, and life. On season two, he's looking at transitions and post-career identity. You can learn more about the show and find past episodes at hmmrmedia.com, including additional coaches' education and athlete development resources. You can also follow Jack on LinkedIn for latest updates from him. Now here's your host, Jack Skilly. Hello, welcome to episode four. This week we are joined by uh, Blake Jeffrion, previous um, professional hockey player, NHL, um, AHL. He was a Hobie Baker finalist, award winner in 2005 for University of Wisconsin, one of my teammates uh, through the ranks in Team USA, Road Juniors and the National Development Program. Um, just a really good person and a, a great hockey mind currently um, involved in professional hockey um, in a, a high management role, um, I think. Um, I don't know how, how much he's allowed to talk about it right now, but uh, he might be transitioning into a pretty pretty nice role there. Um, so it's been a long road for Blake, and we're excited to have him on the show. And um, Blake, why don't you say hello? Yeah, hey guys. Thanks, Skills, for having me. Great introduction. Uh, one correction was actually when Hobie Baker in 2010, not 05. Come on now, do your stat oh, checks. Oh, I was Let's thinking, go. yeah, it's my fault. <laughs> I was actually thinking 2005 was the, the year that I was a freshman. Actually, I was stuck on myself there. Uh, yeah, so 2010, I was I was gone. I was away from uh, away from school. It was what your senior year of college, correct? Yep, yep, exactly. Yeah, cool. Yeah, you were you were um, long off in the, in in the show. Yeah, I wasn't really in the show yet. I was in the minors, but working my way to get there. But uh, the thing is, Blake, you know, I remember you just kind of blossoming that year. That was a huge year for you. I, um, I don't know about the years. I wasn't really following too much the years prior. Um, I was a little bit too focused on trying to get it get get to the big league here um, with the Chicago Blackhawks. But that senior year of college for you was massive. I mean, what changed? Yeah. I mean, that was kind of, you know, I look back on my career in terms of, you know, you know, what, what year of my life in hockey that I had the most fun and definitely senior year was, was, was definitely, you know, my senior year of college uh, was definitely it. And not only because I won the Hobie Baker, but more so, uh, you know, I was drafted at 18, deferred, uh, went to college, University of Wisconsin, played four years and, and kind of my evolution as a player and as a person in college was, was, um, pretty drastic, um, in regards to maturity and, 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 diff- and just performance on the ice, uh, in the classroom, et cetera. And, you know, from, from freshman year, all the way to senior year, I, I really kind of grew as a person and, um, uh, you know, had an opportunity to leave every year after school to go sign pro, but I just didn't feel I was either physically ready or, or, or mentally mature enough to, to kind of make the jump, um, along with a couple other things, but that was mainly the, the reason why I never left. And, I had a big decision to make after my junior year. Um, you know, uh, I'd progressed pretty well. Freshman year, I had six points. Junior year, I had, I think, 35 points. And then senior year, I had 30 points with 15, 20 goals. And I felt I was just, I felt I was ready to go and, and, and whatnot. But, um, you know, I had an opportunity to leave after my seat, my junior year to turn pro. And I kind of, I looked back on, on kind of who our team was, what we had been building towards the guys that we had in the room, the talent that we had in the room and, and also the, my ability to, to complete and get my degree um, uh, in college and be the second Jeffrey on uh, in the history of our family to do so. 
my older brother being the first. And so that was kind of a big deal to me. And, and, and I knew that we were going to have a heck of a team coming back. And so I kind of made the decision um, to, to stay for my senior year um, and go try to win a national championship. And, um, you, you know, I, I can probably spend five hours talking about this year, but the long and short of it was um, we had a fantastic team. Uh, we had, uh, you know, Craig Smith, myself, Mike Davies, who pretty much was a point or point of guy or more, my best friend on the team. Um, you know, we had Brennan Smith, Cody Goldbiff, Ryan McDonough, Jake Gardner, um, Derek Stepan. I mean, just, we were absolutely, you know, a, a stud star studded team. Um, you know, all guys of which that have gone and won Stanley cups and made a bunch of money in the NHL and had long careers and, and the whole bit. Uh, and just good, good. And all those guys are just good, good guys as well. And, you know, we had built a culture, call it the four years that I was there and kind of learned from the team that previously won that you were on skills and, and, you know, with guys like Robbie Earl and Adam Burrish and Tommy Gilbert and Brian Elliott and Nick Lacari and AJ Dagenhardt and some of these guys that were just, they kind of taught, they kind of built a, carried a tradition on in terms of a culture of what Wisconsin hockey was all about and what it took to want to win. And we had kind of been building that for four years. And I knew we had a really good chance coming back combined with the culture in which we had built the infrastructure we had, the coaching staff uh, combined with the talent that we had in the room. Uh, and I, I thought we were going to you know, have, a, have a lot of fun and win a lot of hockey games. And I wasn't wrong. Um, we had just the mentality that we were going to win every night. And I personally had the mentality that I was just going to score every night. And that kind of became a, an evolution and, and kind of a, <laughs> kind of a, it, it just did. I mean, it was just a, we had a swagger about us that was just simply we're going to win this game and we're all going to score a lot of goals and have a heck of a lot of fun doing it. And, um, you know, we, we started off the year kind of coming out of the gates firing and that kind of never looked back. And, uh, I think we set the, I think we had the second best record in the history of Wisconsin's, you know, um, you know, school history. Um, I think we were the second or third team to have 30 wins ever, um, you know, so a lot of things that we had, but this, it was so much fun during the year. And then kind of to end it off with, um, you know, kind of a bittersweet moment where I win the Hobie Baker as the, as the best player in college hockey, but then lose the national championship game the next night, um, was kind of a bittersweet, sweet ending. And, um, but we'll have those relationships forever. And I still talk to a lot of those guys today and, um, you know, what, what a year had a lot of fun and, and, uh, accomplished a lot that year kind of on the ice, off the ice was able to graduate on time. Um, and get my degree. So, uh, Mama Jeffrey on was happy on that one. So, um, yeah, just an unbelievable year, man. Come a long winded answer, but you know me, I like to talk. So, yeah, hey, that's why I got you on the show. You know, you're going to share it. It's good. <laughs> uh, you know, the thing that that's that's so true. You, you can, one of the things that kind of washed over me there while you're talking about that in winning environment that was kind of instilled in us in, in college uh, was through Mike Eves. But I think the guys that I played with in 05 and 06. Uh, 05, 06, uh, all the way to 07, but especially that year, 05, 06, when we won it, it was like the best group of guys I've ever played with in terms of like hungry to win every single night and and that mentality. And uh, you got to kind of meet some of those guys the following year. I think your freshman year was 06, 07, correct? So yep, that was yep. your first, yeah, my second year there. But so that, I mean, I, th I thought that was one of the things that Mike Eves did really well and he let his players take ownership in the room and, and build their own type of winning environment and accountability structure um, within the team. And I th that was the first time I really had witnessed something like that. And uh, I don't think there's really, I've been on so many teams since that I think that's pretty much, 
top two teams I've ever played on in, in terms of holding each other accountable and wanting to win every single night. So definitely a, a cool lesson in life, especially at a young age in college. Um, at that point, I probably, probably wasn't mature enough to even handle it. Um, yeah. Well, but, and I think, I think the biggest thing that you can take away from that is, and what a lot of people don't understand and what young kids um, don't realize is that, you know, the NHL is so different than growing up as a kid. And this is kind of one of the things that I personally didn't really enjoy about the national hockey league. And that is, um, you know, once, once you become a pro and you're getting paid money to, to, to do a job, essentially, um, even though you're on the same team, I mean, you're essentially kind of competing against everyone. Um, everyone wants to score the big goals or, or wants the goals and the points and the assists and all that to, to, um, you know, to get, to get, make, to make more money and get paid more and, and have a bigger role and, and, and whatever it is. And so sometimes teamwork and, and camaraderie kind of goes out the door. And if you look at some of the teams that have won over the years, um, you know, in the national hockey league is, is that a lot of guys have, you know, they've gotten paid already. They're on long-term deals. And now it's kind of like, okay, well, I made the NHL and now I've gotten paid and now it's time to win. And so they kind of get back to those core competencies of what it takes to win a, win a championship or to actually win in, in when itself. And the other thing I think that people are ignorant about growing up uh, as a kid and, or even when they turn pro in the minors, which I've had a lot of personal experience on. And then also, you know, overseeing some, some hockey operations and working in the national hockey league and the American hockey league is that people don't understand that if, if the team does well, that really kind of equates to everyone doing well, statistically getting noticed more scouts to the game, uh, whatnot. Right. I mean, it, it all kind of goes hand in hand. And so my, I guess my message or my underlying message and all this is it, it's all about the team. And, and while you might not individually, um, you know, while you might not individually think that you are uh, being noticed, you, you are. Um, and, and winning creates, creates exposure. It creates opportunity. Um, and, it creates more than anything. It creates a level of fun or competitiveness. That's just what we all strive for as athletes and what we like. Right. And so I think anyone listening to this podcast out there, that's a young hockey player that's striving to make it. I, I think, you know, go out there, compete every day, be a team player. And um, it's only going to benefit you in the long run. Absolutely. That's great. Sound advice. And we kind of talked about youth development. Uh, we did talk about youth, youth development in the previous previous season there. Uh, and we, we brought up that subject, you know, people wanting to win games versus, you know, development. And, and I think Blake brings up a really good point. I think you can even play on a really bad team. That's not winning games, but you, if you're a team player and, and you're maybe one of the better players in that team, that's losing at a young age. Um, and, and you, it's, it's obvious that you're playing for the team that's noticeable. Uh, so you don't necessarily have to be on a winning team, but as you get, older you know like like saying in college and and you know maybe later and, and juniors and, and right before college playing on those winning teams obviously the team win wins you look much better especially at the pro level I think that's a major mistake that young guys I made myself coming in to professional hockey is I was so focused on getting points and and doing some damage there and, and being noticed individually that uh, I didn't really fit into a role on the team. And that's kind of why I didn't get, I didn't move up into the ranks as quickly as I wanted to. So I think 
learning from that and learning currently as a veteran player, when you focus more and Blake, maybe you can attest to this and maybe rebound off of me here. When you focus more on the team and you really care about the team winning and losing your, like your play individually just gets ramped up naturally. You get, you're more engaged in the game. You're, you're definitely noticed more out there, but your teammates are maybe you, you fire your team fire your teammates up from that behavior. You know, that maturity level, you know, Blake Jeffrey on's in it every single night. You know, it's been eight, this is 82 games. This is the 82nd game out of 82 game season. And Blake's still here and he cares about winning the game. I mean, that says so much yeah, for sure. your teammates up hundred percent. I also think the coach realizes that and notices that and that the team's feeding off that energy and the coach will give you more of an opportunity too, right? Um, because at the end of the day, coaches will always go with the guys that do everything the right way, work at it and, and do it on a consistent basis. Um, and, and I think that that's the, the, the biggest takeaway here is, um, you know, team sports have got to be about the team and everyone is going to succeed if, if everyone is, is focused on that common goal of, uh, of, of team play and, and winning. So totally agree. Well, and I, and we'll get to the business side of that, but that's, that's got to ring true in the business world as well. And I'm sure there's people that are listening to this that are parents to their, their kids and they're, they're successful business people. I know there's a lot of successful business people here in Park City, Utah that enjoy this uh, podcast. And I'm sure that they're probably nodding their heads right now saying this is like 100% how the business world works. So uh, I want to shift gears though, kind of backtrack into, you grew up in a, in a place, in an environment that it wasn't really a hockey environment. You're in Tennessee, pretty much Nashville, Tennessee in, in what the eighties, nineties. So how did you get, you have a great family legacy and I'd love for you to kind of touch on that a little bit on the family history of the, the Jeffrey on name in the hockey world and how you got involved in the sport of hockey and what that was like growing up in that environment in Tennessee. Yeah. Yeah. So my, my kind of quick story is, um, you know, my, my great-grandfather is a Hall of Famer uh, and has his jersey retired in the rafters of Montreal. His name's Howie Morenz. Um, He's got a handful of Stanley Cups. And then my grandfather is Boom Boom Jeffreyon, or, or Bernie Bernard Jeffreyon, known as Boom Boom, uh, known for crediting, uh, being credited with inventing the slap shot. Um, has, uh, I think, five or six Stanley Cups and uh, also has his, uh, also a Hall of Famer and also has his jersey retired in the rafters. My dad was a, a sixth overall pick in 79 to the Montreal Canadiens as well. Um, and then I played as well. The running joke in the family to, for all you listeners out there to get a little chuckle is, uh, you know, my great grandfather and grandfather in the hall of fame and me and my dad are actually across the street in the hall of shame. That's kind of the running, uh, <laughs> the running, <laughs> running, the running, the running joke in the family. Um, but, uh, you know, so my, what, what kind of the evolution, what happened was my dad, when he got done playing hockey, he played for about five, six years and then, uh, was living actually in Atlanta um, uh, where my grandfather was the, the first ever coach of the Atlanta flames when they were an expansion team down there before they moved to Calgary and then back to the Atlanta thrashers and then back up to Winnipeg, which is kind of a crazy route for an NHL franchise. Um, but, uh, so that's, so my dad moved back to Atlanta. He was actually working in the insurance business, um, trying to figure out what he wanted to do and, um, travel down to Fort Lauderdale to, to see a potential client who ended up being my, you know, uh, my grandmother and was kind of like, Hey, what's the, uh, who's the good looking girl in the, on your, on, in the picture there. And she goes, that's actually my daughter. You should go across the street and talk to her. She works at that grocery store right there. And so my dad went down, said hi to my mom and the rest is history. They had me born. So I was born and I was born a couple of years later in Fort Lauderdale. 
uh, in Broward County, which is just west of Fort Lauderdale. Um, and then uh, my dad, my dad's business got bought. We moved to Nashville, Tennessee when I was a year old. And, you know, I, I st- my mom and dad still live there today. Uh, you know, 30, 30 years now, 31 years now they've lived there. And so, you know, I started playing hockey when, um, at two years old or started, started, sorry, started skating when I was two, started playing hockey when I was three, um, played all of my youth hockey in Nashville before I was, you know, 14, 15 years old and went to, you know, and kind of moved on higher levels. But, you know, uh, you know, Nashville was, was definitely not a hotbed of hockey. I think we, across the state, I think we had five sheets of ice across the entire state of state of, uh, of Tennessee. And, uh, we would practice two times a week, uh, one for an hour with our, with our own sheet. And then we'd share that was on Tuesdays. And on Thursdays, we'd share a, a half ice, a half sheet of ice with another team. Um, and we had a rink downtown that we had a, a minor league, um, team with that was called the Melissa auditorium. Um, and then we had a rink called the Centennial Sportsplex, which is kind of where all, everyone played out of. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, hockey wasn't, it wasn't really big. It was kind of more, you know, obviously football, baseball, uh, were the two kind of sports that everyone played. Um, I was a kid that played, you know, my dad was always about, you know, you, he wanted me to be an athlete, not a hockey player. So I played, um, you know, hockey during the winter and I played about a hundred baseball games during the spring, summer and fall, um, you know, competitively and traveled around the country and played in all the, you know, USSA, Babe Ruth's world series, et cetera, et cetera. Double ABC. I don't even know if those still exist today, but they did back when I played baseball. And so I, I was a, I was a two sport athlete, um, played, uh, played football in, in junior high, um, played a little bit of soccer. So, uh, was, was kicked out of my, I played basketball, kicked out of my uh, church league for uh, too many fouls. Um, so that was, you know, couldn't understand the, uh, the, the difference between hockey physicality and, and basketball, which was kind of funny. Sounds about um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Right. And so, um, so, so yeah, I mean, we, we, uh, you know, 14 years playing there, uh, when the national predators arrived in 98 is kind of really when, uh, or that was when it was announced that they were going to be playing. I think they started playing in 99 or 98, one of the two, that was when real hockey, when hockey kind of really started to take off from, a you know, a growth perspective with more kids playing, uh, more rinks kind of going up. Um, the predators put in their own practice facility, uh, attached to the Centennial Sportsplex, just, just all these kind of things. And the, and the game of hockey kind of just sporadically grew kind of overnight in terms of number of people that wanted to play. Uh, and you look at it now, I mean, I think, and I think in Nashville, they have 10 or 12 sheets of ice alone, just in the city of Nashville. Uh, you know, you go back and like I said, the, the state had like only four or five or six back when I started. So uh, the evolution of the game in Nashville has been incredible. Um, so I, I, I kind of, you know, played all my youth sports, youth hockey there. Uh, and then I kind of came to a, to a, a fork in the road. Uh, do I stay in Nashville and, and, or do I kind of move on? So I'll, I'll kind of pause there and let you kind of ask some follow-ups if you have any, but. Yeah. So then you, uh, you go and play for Culver. I'm correct. Yeah. Culver Academy. Yeah, so, so then I'll, you go I'll, Culver, I'll Culver Academy, then you go development program and talk about that, that shift a little bit. You, you just, you kind of leading into that, that fork in the road. Yeah. Well, I'll give you, I'll give you a story prior to that before I get into that, that was kind of crazy. So, I, uh, I came into a fork in the road when I was 14 years old and it was either I, 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 I stay in Nashville, continue to play and, and, and kind of, you know, wait for my opportunity or whatnot, or I, I kind of take a step up and, and go, um, and go play, uh, um, you know, triple A somewhere or, or a junior team or, or, or whatnot. And, um, I got contacted by the Cleveland Barons, um, 
and they needed a guy to, they wanted me to come up and play with them in a couple of tournaments, a handful of times throughout um, the year. And so I started going up playing my season and then also playing for the Cleveland Barons triple a team and um, on some weekend tournaments. And, you know, I loved it. It was more competitive hockey, you know, where I was getting four five, six, seven, eight goals or whatever it was or points, you know, in Nashville, I was getting, you know, a handful of points or some point, some games I would go scoreless, which never happened in my life uh, in the triple a. So I need, I knew that if I wanted to be a hockey player, I needed to move on and play higher levels of hockey. And so my mom um, was essentially like, there's no chance. So I, 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 we had this thing worked out where I was going to go to school up in Cleveland and live with another billet family up there and play for a triple a team. And my mom pretty much like put a kibosh on it immediately and was like, I'm not having another family raise you. You're only 14 years old, blah, 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 blah. blah. So that kind of all went down as a fan, uh, you know, our family, you know, kind of had a little internal fight, but ultimately my mom won. And I, I kind of punted on that opportunity. I would continue to go just play tournaments, you know, when it, when, when I could. And, um, so right before the next hockey season start starting, uh, we get a letter in the mail from Colvin military Academy and it essentially says, Hey, we're really interested in Blake. You know, we'd love to have him come out and show you a tour of the facility, blah, 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 blah. And you get this, you know, you get this video in this packet. That's pretty intimidating. Uh, but also really cool at the same time of a military school. Uh, but the hockey program is one of the best in the country in terms of their alumni, the likes of, you know, Gary Suter, Ryan Suter, um, and a million other guys that went on to play in the show or, you know, a boatload of guys that played division one hockey. And so, um, I, uh, I said to my mom, like, mom, what do you think about this? Like, it's only six hours up the road. Cause it was a, you know, you guys could drive up and see me anytime, but it would allow me to get a great education, grow up a lot faster, mature. And then also in conjunction with that play really, really competitive hockey. And so me and my mom and my dad and my brothers and everyone went up and checked it out and we were kind of blown away about with the campus, the opportunity, the hockey program, just everything. And so I ended up, you know, uh, being allowed, I guess is what I'd say by my mom to kind of chase that dream and, and go after it and, and, and go to Culver. So that was kind of my, my first iteration of, of, of uh, taking a big step towards, towards, uh, towards hockey. Um, and uh, you talk about the transition, what that was like. Uh, it was, it was extremely hard. I mean, 14 years old, 15 years old, going into a, a military school, um, you know, that, 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 uh, you know, I mean, I was used to my mom cooking me breakfast every day, doing my laundry, you know, the whole bit to kind of being on my own now and having to do all of these things, uh, keep up with very, very difficult, strong academics, um, and perform, uh, at a high level off the ice it's kind of like entering, entering college at 14 years old. I mean, uh, and then kind of going through, you know, puberty and, 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 and dealing with, with that whole thing with, with, uh, you know, uh, the social life and off the ice, it was, it was extremely difficult. Uh, so difficult actually that I, I actually, at one point, which I don't think a lot of people know, I actually called my dad and said, I'm, I'm done with this. I can't do this anymore. And, uh, I had actually packed all my stuff up and, and our, and my dad came up and got me. I packed all my stuff and I was actually leaving Culver and I was driving from Culver to Cleveland to go join the team over there. We we're going to figure it out. I was going to kind of go back to Nashville and Cleveland on the weekends, go to school back in Nashville. I had de-rolled from Culver. I'd enrolled in Nashville school and it was about a six hour drive or four hour drive from Culver to Cleveland. And, uh, about an hour and a half into it, he's like, my dad's like, you're pretty quiet over there. Everything. All right. And I looked at my dad and I said, dad, uh, I got a really bad feeling in my stomach. And he goes, well, what do you mean? Are you sick? He, I go, no. 
He goes, you think you should go back to Culver, don't you? I said, yeah, I think I, I think I should. And, uh, my dad said, well, that's what you want. Let's do it. And I don't know what it was, but for whatever reason in my gut and in my heart, I knew that, um, I needed to go back to Culver. And so my dad turned around, I re back enrolled in Culver and long and short of it was, um, I ended up having an unbelievable second half of the year in hockey and academics and just everything. I don't know what it was, but, um, maybe it was just, I needed a reset button, but, um, yeah, it's yeah, almost like it's almost like you just uh, maybe you felt you're just maybe giving up on yourself a little bit too early. You know, it was just kind 100%. of one of those things. Yeah. And yeah, that's that's neat. That's a really cool story. I never heard that about you. Never shared yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, no, thanks I, for I sharing that here. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so then you go to the national de- you go to the national team development program in Ann Arbor, which I attended as well. And for me, I went and kind of went behind the ears in terms of leaving home. I had no idea what I was getting into living with the billet family you had already experienced being away from home at that point. So that, and, and also the rigorous, you know, the, the weightlifting and the, the development side off the ice. Uh, I loved it. You know, I was trying to do that all on my own leading up to that point for a few years, but then I was finally in a setting where somebody was basically doing it for me and uh, just throwing it up on the board for me to do. So that was a, that was pretty much, it had to have been a fairly easy transition for, you know, yeah, I think, I think the, yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I think the next step and, and, and kind of my career in life was adopting and, and handling the pressures of, um, you know, when I got announced to the national development program, you know, there was articles coming out about me. I was getting kind of national attention from my last name and who I was and my pedigree and my genetics. And, um, I even had, you know, there was even one article, which is hilarious to think back on. I remember seeing it, uh, was someone wrote like, uh, Crosby uh, is Jeffrey on the Crosby of the 88 group, which was like, okay, let's pump the brakes there. Hey man, you were on that trajectory um, though. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I was, <laughs> I was playing extremely well. I was coming in. Right. Um, I was, you know, I had the, I had the last name. It was kind of a media's like dream to like take someone like myself and, uh, and whatnot. But um, look, I think a little bit, of, a lot of it went to my head and um, I went from, you know, to tell the story, which is the greatest story. Yes. That part of the thing of being away from home, weightlifting, training, all that and academics, I had already kind of, that was an easy transition for me. It was more so performing at a high, an even higher level, um, on the ice and competing against, you know, essentially the best players in, in the world from my, from my, my age group in the U S. And, um, I always tell the story that I, I, I stopped kind of doing the things that I, that, that got me to that point. Right. I kind of felt like, Oh, well, I'm here. Well, this is going to become easy now. And it was kind of the, it was obviously the complete opposite. I, I tell the story that I, I went in to that team as the first line center. And by Christmas time, I was on the, I was on the fourth line playing 10 minutes a night at, at, at best. And I was last on my team in scoring. So my stat line said, read something like this. It was like 23 games, one goal, one assist, two points. And when I say last on the team, I mean dead last. Both of our goaltenders had three assists each. So I was literally, oh, man. so Brett Bennett and Joe Palmer both had three assists. So I was literally oh. bottom of the freaking barrel. Um, yeah, you know, that's rough. That team. And, to, and to go from like one extreme of everyone telling, telling me how great it was and how I was going to play in the NHL and everything else to, to, to kind of that, you know, I had every school after me I had every college after me wanted me to commit right away and, and the whole thing. And, you know, to go from that down to, down to essentially nothing, uh, was a, was a, was an ego shock. And, 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 you know, 
everyone's life and career, whether it's professionally off, on the ice, off the ice, family, whatever it is, everyone goes through adversity in their life and it's how you respond to it and how you, what you learn from it more than anything. And this was kind of the first time in my life that I had faced a bullet of adversity um, on the ice. And I never, I never experienced that before and I didn't really know how to handle it. And so I'll never forget. It was that, that would have been my junior year of high school. And uh, John Hines was my coach is now the coach of the national predators um, and formerly of the, the New Jersey devils. He calls me up and, uh, at, the, at that Christmas. It was, it was Christmas that year. And we were all going home to do Christmas with our families before we all flew to Lethbridge, Alberta to play in the world uh, U-17 challenge. I'll never forget this. He calls me into his office and he says, hey, he goes, I know I told everyone I want everyone to bring their gear home and skate a couple of times and whatnot. Um, he goes, for you, I, I want you to leave your gear here. I'm going to bring it up for you. I'll meet you in Lethbridge. He goes, I don't want you to even think about the game of hockey. He goes, I just want you to go be with your family and have a blast and, and I'll see you in Lethbridge. I said, okay, sounds good. And that's exactly what I did. I went home, had a home cooked meal, saw my brothers, my dad, my mom uh, spent Christmas. Then me and my dad flew out the day after Christmas, I think it was, and flew up to Lethbridge. And uh, coach John Hines pulls me into his office and says, hey, he goes, I got a role for you. He goes, I'm going to move you from the fourth line to the third line. He goes, and I want you to, you're going to play with Billy Sweat and, and Ryan Flynn. And he goes, and I want you to shut down um, this, this, this guy. Uh, our, our first game was against Team Canada. He goes, and I want you to shut down Jonathan Taze. And I said, you know, Jonathan Taze at the time had been kind of like the, you know, we all know who he is now, but he was the same way back in the day. I mean, he was a rock star um, and still is. And so I'm like, all right, no problem. And, and you kind of fast forward and he's like, and Heinrich was like, and, I, and there's one other thing that he goes, I want you to block every single shot. Um, you're going to be the first guy over the boards for PK. And I want you to block every single shot. And I'm like, I'm a scorer. Like I've never really been a defensive forward or anything in my whole life. I've always been a guy who put the puck in the net. And um, again, so I was like, Hey, look, whatever, whatever I need to do to, to help the team win and to get myself back on track and the whole bit. And uh, long and short of it, it was that tournament. I ended up having five points in five games and finished second scoring in the tournament behind Jonathan Taze and tied with Jordan Stahl for the for second second uh, in scoring. And uh, that, that tournament, I think I blocked, like I should have played goalie. I literally blocked like 500 shots. I broke my finger, played through it. Um, I scored big goals for us and just kind of rode that momentum um, on, from that tournament for the rest of the year. I think I had 20 plus goals the second half of the year. Uh, granted playing with one of my best buds and, and uh, you know, one of the best players in Patrick Kane in the world, probably the greatest U.S. player of all time. Um, I played with him the second half of the year. Um, and I had probably, I don't know, fucking by like seven or eight tapping goals, but, uh, you know, it, it was kind of the, again, going back to, you know, changing a role, facing adversity, um, you know, accepting a role that wasn't one that I was really used to, but I knew I needed, I wanted to do whatever I could to get, may help the team win and kind of rode that into the second half of the year. And, um, that led to me scoring a bunch of goals, committing to the university of Wisconsin and, um, you know, into the summer in the summer training for my senior year in, in U18 year. So. Yeah. Just playing the right way. And that's John Hines was a really good coach at teaching guys and expecting guys to play the right way. And I, I remember that for sure. He's a, a pretty much a Mikey's um, descendant um, at that point. Um, so, or disciple. So that's awesome. And then you, you have this great, you know, you go to the program and you're, you're going into Wisconsin. Now you were drafted by Nashville, correct? Yeah. 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 So, so, so senior year going to my second year in TDP, 
came in great shape. We, I had a, personally a good year. We all had a good year as a team. We ended up going in uh, and winning the under uh, the U18 World Championship. So got the gold medal. Uh, you guys, your 87 group won it the year before. We were the first Team USA groups to win it back to back. So again, right, kind of riding high again, doing extremely well personally and team wise. Um, you know, fast forward. That was in I think April that we won that World U18 gold medal. Go into um, uh, go into the summer. That was the year I was going to get drafted. It was in the, the draft was in Vancouver. Um, March of that year, right before World Championships, I lost my grandfather, who I was very very close with. Uh, you know, boom boom Jeffrey on and the whole bit, which was a a pretty cool um, uh, pretty cool you know story and 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 kind of what what we got to experience when he passed away and when we all went to Montreal to see the the Montreal Canadiens. Um, kind of honor him and all that. That was, that was super cool. Um, then kind of, you know, to get drafted, um, go to the draft. I was projected to go anywhere in the late first to early third, um, in the draft. And, uh, the Montreal or the Montreal Canadians had, um, three picks, one 17th overall, uh, or 18th overall. And then they had two second round picks, 43 and 46. And then the national predators picked, um, 56. So I had a feeling that I was going to go somewhere, somewhere in there, just given the the dynamics, you know, not really knowing much, but just given the dynamics, I figured I'd go somewhere in there. And uh, long and short of it was uh, Max Pacioretty, one of my really good buddies was taken by Montreal in the first round. And then they took, and then Montreal had two, two second round picks. Um, and those kind of both bypassed. I was like, dang it. I don't know where I'm going to go now. And then when Nashville, Nashville didn't have a first round pick, and when 56th overall came up, uh, they announced for the national development program. And I, I knew right away it was going to be me. Um, and, uh, they, they drafted me and that was a really, really cool moment for just kind of everyone, uh, in my family and, and kind of me professional, you know, you, you know, me, me, especially, uh, to be drafted by a hometown team and kind of, I've watched Predators since, you know, I was at the first game, first home game against the Florida Panthers when they played and just a really cool ex- moment experience for me. Um, you know, to, to kind of have that. And then it was kind of off to Wisconsin from there. Yeah. What a cool story. I mean, and then we'll, we'll kind of accelerate through this cause I, I don't want to take too much of your time, but you, you're in, I mean, playing in, in front of your, 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 your family and, and friends in Nashville at some, at one point, obviously after college you're you start your career off, you kick that, kick it off with Nashville. Um, you know, you have obviously training camps, you're playing in Milwaukee for their, their affiliate a little bit. You're, you're getting called up, you're, you're getting some NHL experience. I mean, I can't even imagine the, the wave you were riding. Um, and, and just, it had to have come full circle for you in terms of dreams of playing in the national hockey league, but also just in your hometown. I can't even imagine, but, um, I love to hear about all that, but I really want to get to, you know, the really important part of this, uh, this episode and it's your story and, and your career here, but, um, you, you got traded to Montreal, which was another level of like, oh, wow. You know, now you're, you're part oh, of, yeah. you know, like how, how cool is that? You start your career in, in Nashville, then you go to Montreal where your where your family name is just this huge, like it's famous. You know, you guys are just rock stars. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, you know, I was in, I was, um, you know, uh, I was actually in the minors, uh, in Oklahoma city playing a game and it was on the deadline day. And the coach calls me in and David Poyles on the phone is a general manager of the national president at the time and says, Hey, we just traded you. And I said, Oh, okay, great. Um, where'd you trade me to? 
he's like the Montreal Canadians. And I remember sitting down, I just, I was standing up and I sat down and I said, I said, no way. And he goes, yeah, you know, I wanted to at least get, if I was going to trade, I'm going to put you in a good spot. And you know, they're, you know, they need, they need prospects and, and, you know, obviously giving your family name, whatnot. And I just was like, Oh my goodness. I hung up the phone right away. I called my dad and, and me and my dad always joke around with each other and pr- try to prank each other. It never works, of course. And I go, dad, you're not going to believe this. I go, I just got traded to Montreal. He goes, yeah, real funny. Hey, I'm at the shop with your mom. I'll call you back. It hangs up. I call him back. I'm like, dad, no, no, I'm serious. I got traded to Montreal. He goes, like, I don't have time for this right now. I'll call you later. I'm like, no, 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 dad. So then I had to call my mom. Like, mom, tell dad I just got traded to Montreal. It's all over the news. And he's like, no way. Are you kidding me? Oh, you know, we just started like pretty, pretty nuts. So uh, I ended up going to Hamilton, who's their minor league affiliate. I tore it up. I had like, I think I had 11 or 12 points in nine games, like nine goals. Get called with Montreal, first games in Tampa. And uh, uh, long and short of it was, I played with my best bud, Max Patrick, in that game. And um, I actually played extremely well. I just could not put the puck in the net. And I was riding high on confidence, the whole thing. But long and short of it was, uh, um, they, you know, this is the business side of the games. So they didn't want me playing my, my enough games where I could hit my waiver game. They wanted the upper hand negotiations. And so that kind of went into, um, you know, the summer. But, you know, my short time in Montreal and my experience was incredible. It really was. We actually, I mean, it was, it was, a, it was surreal to to kind of, to kind of be able to experience that in, in, the, in the Montreal organization. And just like the, I would say anyone out there, if you can ever get to a game in Montreal in the Bell Center, the history that you feel when you enter that building is incredible. Um, the same way I would say that Wrigley Field used to be before they commercialized it. Or, um, you know, you, you can just feel the history in the building, you know, with all the jerseys sure. and everything sure. else like that. Yeah. It's just, it's, uh, it's, it's really kind of, uh, it's an unbelievable feeling for any yeah, sports. For, I scored my so. first NHL goal in that barn, man. Did you really? Yeah. Yeah. So against Cristobal Hue, but yeah, I, I, for sure. That is uh that is such a cool story. So that's why, you know, I really wanted you to share this because you are, this is a lot of adversity in your path, but you, you start in Nashville, you go to, go to Montreal and you're playing really well. I remember like watching and following you as a buddy of mine and you're getting these sniffs in the NHL. You're, you're playing well. And it's looking like this coming season, you know, this next year, um, you're going to get this big opportunity and then boom, the lockout happens. And then you're in Hamilton during the lockout, you're playing and you're playing well. And, you know, you're keeping a positive attitude because you know that at some point this lockout's going to lift and you're probably going to get a good opportunity once it lifts and boom, the hit happens, you know, and, and for all those that are listening, Blake really was going to be in, in my opinion, he was going to be a, a long time national hockey league player. Like you were on that path and it was really fun to watch. And, um, you know, I, I gotta be honest, like I was a little bit envious because of the opportunities you were getting, but you were really taking advantage of them and your attitude was so great. And Blake, why don't you just walk us through what happened? Yeah. Um, so, so yeah. So what ended up happening was, you know, as I, as I look back kind of on, um, uh, you know, I was, I, there was a promotional game, uh, for the lock no, during the lockout for the lockout, um, to have essentially the minor league team play in Montreal to give the, you know, the fans some hockey. So it was a way for the Montreal Canadiens fans to see their prospects, what the future looked like, the whole thing. So we played the Syracuse crunch. who was Tampa Bay lightnings, um, minor league affiliate. And I'm pretty sure they had, 
you know, they had, they were stacked. I mean, they had all the guys that are pretty much playing now there in Tampa. We're down in Syracuse. So it was a great game. Uh, I think it was one or two shifts. Or I think it was maybe like my third shift, second or third shift into the game. My mom and dad had drove up for the game um, because my two brothers were playing college hockey in Boston at that, on that weekend. So they were just going to continue on and watch me play. So my mom and dad are in the stands and um, uh, I was back checking on one of my, one of my shifts high in the zone. I picked the guy's pocket and I come, I'm coming back up the wing uh, uh, and through the neutral zone. And, um, uh, you know, long and short of it was, I, I, I saw the guy coming, but I thought I could, I could beat him. So I kind of chipped the puck and I'm, I'm starting to like take another speed, another gear speed, and try to beat him wide. And then I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm not gonna be able to beat this guy. He's coming right at me right now. And so I see him kind of last thing. so I try to jump out of the way. And I remember he hit my front right shoulder and I kind of went one, my head went one way and his, obviously his skate went the other and kind of, you know, uh, we, we collided and, you know, I had a, I had a bowl of concussion, concussions in my career, all different, you know, um, all different, uh, whether it was, it was just minor to, to very severe and loss of vision. And so I knew that like when I got hit, I'm sitting there on my knees and I'm like, all right, I don't have a, I don't have a, I don't have a concussion. I'm totally fine. And a fight broke out. Michael Blunden, who, you know, skills, uh, ended up fighting John P. A. Cote, who's the guy that hit me. And, um, um, so I'm, I'm, I'm feeling fine. And all of a sudden I kind of sit up and I feel a rush down my back, which was, you know, I was bleeding pretty bad somewhere. And so I kind of go off the ice and I'm, I'm totally fine. And I get off the ice. Um, and, uh, the trainer's got the gospel over my head. I, I go, I go to the, the trainer's room and about halfway down, I'm, I'm not feeling too good. I'm like, Oh, hang on one second. I think I'm going to throw up. And so I kind of pause and he's, and I'm like, ah, oh, I'm good. So I keep moving on and long and short of it you know, kind of give you the G rated version, but, um, you know, fast forward, I, I'm, I'm in the room on the table. The doc comes over, looks at me and says something in French. I don't speak French, um, says something in French. And so the trainer, Graham, we call him G walks over. He goes, Hey, this guy's being a little, um, this is a, this is a, this is not our normal doc. Um, he's been a little ridiculous, but he wants you to go to the, to the hospital and get a CT scan and make, just make sure everything's okay. You're done for tonight. I'm like, I was like, you gotta be kidding me. I was like, I'm fine. I feel fine. I'm, I'm don't have a concussion. Like I just sewed me up. I'm good. Like, I don't know where I'm bleeding from, but I'm good. He's like, nah, he's like, not this one. He's like, we got to get you over to the hospital. I'm like, all right, well, I was like, you got to call my mom and dad. They're in the stands. And they're like, oh, they're already here. I'm like, what? So my mom and dad had already been brought down and it had been a little while. Right. And so, um, so I'm like, what's going on? And my dad's like, my dad's white as a ghost white as a ghost. And I'm like, dad, yeah. Right. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we're good. We're good. And so long and short of it is they get me on the stretcher. I'm like, why am I in a stretcher? They're like just precautionary reasons. You'll be fine. So they put me in the ambulance. My mom's in the back of the ambulance. My dad's in the front seat of the ambulance. We get to Montreal journal hospital and, um, like I'm in a full stretcher. I can't move my head at all. Like, I, you know, and the doc and my mom and dad come over to me like, Hey, you, uh, we're just gonna get us a quick CT scan and then you'll be out of here. And all I remember was going into the, the last thing I remember is going into the CT scan room and being very, very cold. And then I don't remember anything else after that until I woke up the next, you know, the next day, however long it was. And, um, so what ended up happening out, outside of that was, um, I had a seizure right when I, right when I don't remember anything, I had a seizure for about a minute and, um, they, they then calmed me down and gave me a CT scan and saw internal bleeding, uh, like, I had a distressed skull fracture in there. I was bleeding internally around my brain pretty badly. So I was hemorrhaging. And, um, so they, 
They, the doctor rushes back out to the waiting room. You know, this all takes place in, a, in an hour or whatever, right? Rushes back out to the waiting room and says to my dad in French, hey, you got to sign these papers because we have to perform emergency surgery on Blake. We don't know if he's going to make it. And like, you know, you got to sign this now. So my dad's like, wait, what? What the heck's going on? Like, you just told me everything's fine. And now you're telling me I might not make it. So my dad signs the sheet. My mom's like, what did he say? What did he say? My dad said he lied to my mom because my mom would have lost her marbles and like probably ran back there. And so my dad said it was the longest time of his life that he's ever sat there and waited for it to see, to hear the results, just kind of having that on his shoulders and listening and waiting. Um, but long and short of it was they gave me emergency surgery. Uh, I had the express skull fracture. I had seven pieces of, 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 of my skull essentially embedded in my brain that they had to take out, surgically remove. And then they took, took an acrylic plate. I'm sorry. Um, they put a metal plate um, over and then took acrylic bone and over that and then sewed me back up. I think I had like 183 inside stitches and 100 and like 211 stitches or something crazy on the outside. And, uh, um, you know, so I, I, I wake up. Uh, so they kind of say to my dad, like, Hey, we don't know. Like, you know, anytime there's a brain injury, no one knows like the kid could be fine or they couldn't walk. He can never wake up. We, we have no idea. You know, it's, it's, it's hit or miss. So my dad said, again, it was just like a, an emotional toll. I was, I was dating my, my girlfriend at the time. who's now my wife. Uh, she was in law school in Chicago. Um, and, um, the next morning when I woke up from surgery, um, I'll never forget. It was my mom, my dad, Jeff Molson, owner of Canadians, Mark Bergen, who was a gene with the Canadians at the time and the doctor. And like, I, I'm pretty sure all of them were crying. And, you know, remember I, the last thing I was told was, Hey, we're just going to give you a quick CT scan and you're out of here. So I was like, Hey, what the hell is going on? Like, why are you guys all crying? Cause I had no idea. Right. And, um, so I knew something was really wrong when the, the, I went back to sleep. And the second time I woke up, um, you know, the, the breathing tube and everything else, else was gone. And my, my girlfriend slash wife now was there and I knew something was really wrong. I was like, Hey, what, what, what's going on? What happened? And so she was like, Hey, she's like, stay calm. But she's like, you had a really bad accident last night. You got hit. I go, yeah, I remember getting hit. I go, she's like, well, you had internal bleeding and they had to put a plate and five screws in your head pretty much. Um, and you're probably never gonna play hockey again. Like kind of thing. And I was just like, eh, I'll be fine, hon. Like, you know, they always say that, like I'll bounce back. No big deal. And so like, I didn't understand how bad it was, you know, cause I had a gospel around my head and the whole thing. I didn't understand how bad it was until couple of days later I got, I got discharged to like the, to, you know, the main floor in the hospital and they had to change my gauze bed after a couple of days. And when the guy took the thing off, I go, let me see what this thing looks like. And when he took a picture of it, I like lost it. Cause I knew I was done. I mean, it was that bad. Um, you know, it was, it was, it was awful. And, uh, so that was kind of the, I'll, I'll kind of pause there and ask questions, but that was kind of my, uh, that's what happened, dude. Yeah. Um, I, I remember at one point, I remember you, you called me and I heard this, I, I, I broke down in tears. I mean, hearing the story is hard for me to, you know, listen to again, you know, it's like, yeah. this is so, such an intense moment, you know, and, and, uh, in your life. And, and I was like, I remember driving my car and you're kind of explaining all this to me and you're explaining what the doctor was saying at that point, correct me if I'm wrong, but he said something like, you know, Blake, you could possibly play and, and not have any, issues but it all it takes is one more hit and you you, you could be wearing a diaper the rest of your life yeah you know? that's exactly and, right so like the, the the biggest thing was because i was susceptible to seizures um you know with high blood pressure high heart rate and, and suffering a seizure 
that's an equation for death pretty much. And so that was kind of the, the reason why I had to, I had to retire and I couldn't find a doctor to let me play. Um, that combined with the fact that, um, uh, I, I think that's right. Hopefully if there's any medical experts out there that, uh, I think that's what I, that was, <laughs> that was the consensus, you know, but also combined with the fact that, you know, I had suffered 13 documented concussions in my career. And let me tell you, I had a hell of a lot more than that. So, um, it was also a combination of, of, of being like, Hey, if this continues to happen, you know, what's going to look like, but right. Um, right. So and, it, and, it and that's, a, that's the thing, you know, I remember hearing that and I just was just, I was so, I was like so upset for you that your career ended, but I was so like happy that you were kind of becoming, you're making peace with the idea of like, this is just the hand that I'm dealt and this is the way I have to move, you know, go forward. And I have to think more, mostly about my wife and my future family and everything like that. And, and so that's why, you know, your story is so important for this season because we're talking about post-career identity here. You know, we've had, Mike Fisher on, we've had uh, John Mitchell on, and, and those guys were pretty much in control of their retirement. You're at, how old were you when this happened, Blake? 25, uh, God, I don't, yeah, 24, 25. So you've been going, I mean, we've paint, painted this picture. You have this awesome story. No, it's 22, 22 skills. Yeah, I mean, yeah, wild. That's just wild. So you have this storybook career leading up to this point. You're young. You got a lot, a lot, a lot of road of hockey beyond this and bam, it's done. Yeah. Like it's been, it was basically the choice was made for you that at 22 years old, your dreams, everything that you've worked up to up until this point, it's done. And yeah. I mean, how, how much you can't get much more violent, like literally violent physically, but like mentally than that, that just severe cut the cord. It's over. And, um, the point of this season, is what, I mean, what was going through? Okay. Obviously you have a, a grievance. You're, you're grieving the loss of the sport that you love and the life that you've been living. I mean, you had to have go, gone through a grieving process there, but then the, the, it raises the question of now what, like, now what am I going to do? I'm 22 years old. Luckily you have a college degree. And, and can you kind of walk us through that process of the, the now what, you know, what were the questions you were asking yourself at this point? Yeah. The thing that I, that I think I wrestled with the most, I mean, yeah, I was walking away from a game that I love, but, um, you know, I always thought that I was put on this earth to, to, uh, you know, be a hockey player and use that platform to give back and, 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 and help people and, and be a, a, a figure to, you know, kind of a public figure to, to help people and, and, and whatnot. And I was kind of like, well, wait a minute. Like I, I just got dealt these cards and I, and like, you know, the big man up top has been telling me all along and showing me like, this is what I want you to do. And all of a sudden, boom, huge wrenches thrown. I'm like, well, what the heck is going on? I don't understand. And so that was like the hardest thing for me. It was like, well, what's my purpose in life now? What's my goal? What is my next iteration or challenge? Uh, you know, as a competitor, it's, it's kind of like, what's the next thing. And so took me a little bit of time to figure that out and, and, you know, combination of what's next, who I am and what do I want to do. Right. And, uh, you know, so it took me some time. I, I ended up taking a scouting role back in hockey with the Columbus blue jackets. Um, and, uh, um, you know, it took a kind of took a year to figure out what I wanted to do. I just kind of went to games when I could and whatnot. And then, and then, uh, you know, one to use my degree, 
Um, and so I took a job at Corn Ferry, which is a big executive search firm, and I specialize in sports. So we, we place executives from kind of, you know, uh, team to team or franchise to franchise or, um, you know, different things. But, you know, it took me a little time to figure out what I wanted to do and, and, and kind of what my next step in life was. And, um, you know, it, it was, it was definitely, you know, very challenging. I think everyone goes through it in some form or fashion, but I think for me, when I look back, I think that there's a saying that I've always lived my life by. And I learned in the national development program from John Hines and that's adversity only makes you stronger. And while it's a little bit corny, I think it's very, very true. And that was the kind of thing that kept me going forward. And, you know, you know, look, I'm, I'm in an adverse time. What do I, what do I, what can I learn from the situation? Uh, and what am I going to do moving forward and how can I become a better person, you know, through this? Right. So I think that that was the, the biggest thing for me, um, you know, mentally. Sure. What, what, so, so absolutely. What, what can you kind of say to somebody that's maybe listening to this, that's kind of going through it. And obviously you can't match that, that transition. That's, that's just wild, but we all have transitions in our lives. We talked about transitions this whole episode, uh, but you go from, this is what I'm doing. This is my path. These are my dreams. And I'm almost ready to be a full-time NHL player. I'm going to be accomplishing my dreams. And then bam, you know, the person listening to this, maybe they got fired. Maybe they, um, maybe the pandemic took away their job, whatever. Uh, now they're facing that reality of the now what now, what do I do? What do I do? What's my purpose? And I think John Mitchell in the last episode really made that clear. Like we all need a purpose. You know, we're all human beings here, whether we're professional athletes and we're placed on a pedestal or not, um, or, you know, super successful in any other work uh, force or or, um, position, we are human beings. So when something ends, we have to have purpose. We have to have something that, you know, helps us wake up every single day and motivates us to live and provide for our families and and whatnot. But what would you say to that person that's listening right now? That's maybe kind of going through the same transition, Blake, or uh, at least mentally where they, they don't know what they're going to do next. I'd say, first of all, everything's going to be just fine. Uh, There's a lot of people struggling out there and there's probably someone has, is in a worse case than you are. Um, Everyone has, there's a plan for everyone. And while we don't know what it is, you know, probably in that very moment, um, you know, if you continue to kind of work hard and seek that and what it is and what makes you happy and continue to continue to just fight every day, um, it's eventually going to come around and and you're going to find it. Um, You know, whether it was, I personally think there's two things in this world. If you treat people with respect and you outwork and you work the hardest you possibly can, everything is going to be, uh, everything is going to be just fine. And, and that, that's, that's all you can do control what you can, which is, you know, I always go back to, to when I, when, when I give like, talks to teams or whatever, it's treat people to respect and, 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 and outwork the person next to you. And if you do those things, I, I truly believe in my heart um, that you will, you will succeed in anything that you set your mind to hundred um, percent. And don't feel sorry for yourself because there's someone else out there that, that has, that is way worse off than you are. Um, and you, you can't, you can't sit there and feel sorry for yourself. You got to move on, accept it. You know, what, with what happened, learn from the situation and continue to move forward and, and, you know, take care of your family or your kids or, or, or whatever you're doing and, and find the next thing, whatever that is. Um, 
I think that that's the, the, the biggest thing. I mean, mental confidence and your mental capacity and mental strength is, is so powerful. I mean, your mind is so powerful. And I think if you have that mindset, uh, you know, people always talk about the killer instinct mindset. If you have that mindset, you're going to be fine. Everything's going to be, everything's going to work out. Everything's going to be fine. Everyone in this world goes through adverse times, all different, you know, ways uh, and all different levels of, of what that is. Um, that's just life. And, and, you know, you got to react to it and you got to, you only can control what you can. And, and that's what I would say to, to someone. I know it was kind of a long way to answer again, but um, I'm kind of rambling, but that's, that's, those are kind of my thoughts and hopefully that people can relate to that. Yeah, for sure. Blake, that's the thing. That's one of the things that I've always respected about you as a human being is just how positive you always are, you know, and, and you face these challenges. We all, like we all do, we all face, we all have our struggles. We all have our challenges and whether how big, uh, big or small they are, it doesn't matter. They're, they're big to us, even in the moment. So, um, you know, you were one of those guys in my life that I always kind of, when, every time I talk to, it was like, you know, just positive thinking, you know, positive thinking, move forward and, and, press on through and, 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 and I commend you. I mean, you're sitting here today and I, we can't talk about, it. I'm not going to ask you to talk about it, but you're, you're moving on up in the hockey world. And I mean, real, like really moving on up and, and into, you know, higher, higher positions, um, you know, decision-making positions in the, the top two leagues in the world. And you're, you're a year younger than I am, you know, 32, you know, correct. You're 32. So I mean, you are a perfect example of somebody that gets their dreams being crushed, literally, like just taken away from you and then adapting. You have now adapted and you have become, you've blossomed and you've, I think you knowing you since high school, I've known you since the national team development program at 16 years old. And you've always kind of had that same, you know, charger mentality of being positive and working harder than the next guy. And I've always appreciated that about you, but you've also grown up tremendously as a person because of what the adversity that you've had to handle. I mean, being a father now and and a husband and and for a while and, and, you know, those are things that I always kind of looked up to you, uh, you know, as your buddy, just kind of like the things that were happening in your life and the way you were handling them. I really appreciated the way you did that. So, um, that is Thanks, it was so, yeah, that. no problem, man. And, and, and having you on the show is so important to me because like I said earlier, the, the two previous guests are, they were in control of their retirement and that's, it makes things a little bit easier. You know, you can, you maybe at peace in your heart, you can make that decision, take some time to make the decision, decide whether to go back and Fisher's case, it's, he went back, you know, for a little bit and decided at that point that he was for sure done. You know, um, your your path wasn't as peaceful. It was a little bit more violent, and I think uh, it's really neat to hear that side of the story and how you've you've adapted to it, and you're now flourishing because of it. I think so, Blake. Thank you so much for joining us and yeah, and, thanks, uh, Skills, and sharing. Me, yeah, and I hope the the listeners. Uh, I I hope you guys took something from this. Uh, I know I take something from Blake every time I talk to him. He's just one of those people. So um, comment on uh, hammermedia.com or hammermedia.com's Instagram page. Obviously, I'm not on social media anymore. uh, So please comment there. Let us know if there's 
any topics, future topics you'd like us to, to discuss and um, let us know how we're doing. Comment and, and let us know what you think and, and uh, give us some feedback. So Blake, again, thanks for joining us today and we will see all of our uh, listeners uh, next week. Cheers. All right, bud. Thanks. Thanks.